you don't walk into a space, meet someone for the first time, and sell them anything. You're not going to get a large donation from them. You're not going to get them to buy your product. It's really just the beginning of that. Welcome to the Be Change Podcast. We're your hosts, Marcy Goldstein-Gell. And I'm Warren Goldstein-Gell. This podcast is for leaders and emerging leaders who care about social change and how to make a great difference in the world. The podcast explores strategies, tools, and stories to help you strengthen your social change and nonprofit leadership skills. Marcy, I met Robbie Samuels at a workshop called Art of the Schmooze that he led in 2015, four years ago for a Boston area foundation, the Lenny Zakem Fund. He had developed this really unique expertise on helping leaders boost their confidence in relationship building through networking. He'll describe in this episode specific tools and practices that can help activists stop wasting their precious time when networking. Shortly after our interview, he published a book filled with his lessons called Bagels versus Croissants, and he also launched the podcast. What I found most compelling about what he had to say was, you know, the word schmooze in and of itself sounds like you're you're kind of greasy, you're trying to get something out of someone. And he really takes back that word and try to use it as a form of empowerment for leaders in really trying to build relationships that have integrity as opposed to just trying to get something out of somebody. Uh, so I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this interview, get a lot out of it. Robbie, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you very much, Warren. I know that you also have done a great deal of social justice and social change work that I didn't mention in the introduction. Can you talk a little about that work and how it led you to the work you're doing now? Sure. I've been in Boston since 2002, and I joined the staff of Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Defenders in 2005 and worked there for almost 10 years until very recently when I left to become a full-time professional speaker and, uh, and just try to bring my message to more people. I organized for GLAD 25 fundraising events a year and did major gift work. We raised about a million dollars through fundraising events, and it was an amazing space to be in. It's particularly in the last 10 years, the work that has happened to advance LGBT equality. 2006, I founded uh, Socializing for Justice, which is a cross-cultural, cross-issue progressive community and network in Boston based on the philosophy of abundance and radical inclusion. That's uh, celebrating nine years this fall, and it's been a completely grassroots, volunteer-run, um, self-supported uh, organization and an amazing way to meet people in Boston. We've grown to nearly 3,000 members and hosted over 200 events. So that's sort of my the wide array of uh, social justice work that I've done. I was actually recognized in 2011. My birthday, September 16th, was named Robbie Samuels Day wow. in Boston. So, that was, uh, that was a really nice way to get recognized, and I appreciate Felix Arroyo for doing that. That's tremendous. Congratulations on that. I know you have many, many practical ideas and tools and tips to share about networking and relationship building and the art of the schmooze. But before we dive into the specifics, 
I'd like to take a step back and ask you to talk a little about the word schmoozing and schmoozing's role in social change. Uh, I'm asking because I think for some people, schmoozing can be a loaded term, conjuring up images, say, of uh, one percenters at uh, fancy dinner parties showing pictures of their kids as they lock in a business deal. Or some might think of schmoozing and networking as a kind of a, an artificial or an inauthentic way of selling people on something that they don't want or, or they don't need. How do you think about schmoozing and its role in promoting social change and social justice? Warren, I really appreciate that question. Uh, I tend to focus on topics like networking and fundraising that on their own do have sort of a, an image problem. And I like to work with people and with my, my clients to really reframe what those words mean and, and what they can look like when you sort of genuinely approach them in an authentic way. So Art of the Schmooze is a, is a catchy title. Um, I've called it other things and fewer people have uh, arrived for my trainings. So I know people know what it is, um, which is part of what drew me to it. Um, I was also raised Jewish, so I think schmooze, uh, I have a different sort of cultural connection to the word. But I agree, like it does conjure up that sort of negative stereotype. But it's also about genuine connection. It's about talking to each other. And in this, you know, age of Facebook era, everything, you know, online, screens every, everywhere, we've sort of forgotten how to do FaceTime. And I don't mean the app. I mean, <laughs> literally, FaceTime. And so... In that sense, the schmooze is something you, you do in person. Um, you don't think of it as something that requires some sort of electronic medium or some sort of device. And it's an art form that we have sort of moved away from as our culture has shifted and we've spent more time uh, using devices and screens. So, uh, you know, while I agree uh, that there, that connotation can be there, I do think that networking in general has a sort of negative mm-hmm. association um, you know, the what's in it for me. Like if you if you approach a networking event just thinking about what you're going to get, people are going to spot you from a mile away and, and want to avoid you. So it's really about educating everybody that, you know, networking and schmoozing are about identifying the ways in which you can add value and then help make connections in the room and just in your world in general. So uh, as far as how that connects to the world of social justice, I think we're not going to, advance as far as we would like, that that arc of justice isn't going to bend quite as far as we'd like unless we are working together. And I do think that there's something to learn from from seeing each other as human beings and meeting each other, connecting around shared values. The work is, particularly in the LGBT community, was about being seen and um, not being invisible. And I think as more people did come out, it has been tremendous the way the world has shifted and changed. We have seen amazing strides just in the last 10 years. So I think there's a relationship because um, any good campaign is about telling your story. And I think schmoozing is, is a, in that sense, also about telling your story. Good. So let's dive in um, and talk about how leaders and especially emerging leaders in nonprofits and social justice and social change organizations or groups, how they can benefit. I thought maybe I'd give you a, um, a networking scenario that might be similar to what some emerging and even seasoned leaders might face. Then we could walk through some of the tools and techniques that you might apply or suggest, if that makes sense to you. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, so let's say you're a, a new director of a, a small nonprofit. 
and you've successfully written your first grant, and you've been invited to an awards ceremony by the foundation at a hotel in downtown Boston, where the foundation's donors, board members, and grantees, who are made up of community organizations, will meet together in a large ballroom. Before the formal program is a 45-minute period for socializing and a buffet dinner. So to start off, maybe we can talk about how you see people who have not thought much about or don't know much about networking, how they might approach a situation like that. Sort of what are some of the things that people do that do waste time when preparing to or not preparing to network at an event such as this? Sure. So, Warren, I think this actually happens very often. People go to events that even are called networking events or they attend an event that you just described, which is, you know, an awards night. Um, In my mind, I immediately think of that as a networking event, but many people don't. They, you know, rush out of work um, thinking about what they left behind on their desk. They have competing priorities at home. That they feel like they need, they're like they should be going home, but they have to go to this event. They don't do any kind of advanced prep to think about who's going to be there, what they want to talk about. Basically, walk in, they get their name tag on, they shake hands with some random people, they collect some random business cards, they circle the room a few times, they have a bite to eat, and as soon as they can, they head out. And they get home and they take the business cards out of their pocket and they put them in the corner of a desk. And then a month later, they find those and they put them carefully in a drawer. And three or four months go by and they find them in the drawer. They're trying to remember where they met these people and why do they keep these cards. And they, they recycle those cards. Unfortunately, this sounds, this sounds um, a little bit all too familiar. <laughs> and then they head out to the next fundraising event or networking event or social and the cycle sort of starts up again. So, yeah, I that's the eight steps to not network <laughs> successfully. Um, on my website, I have eight steps for successful networking, which is a very different approach, which I guess we're about to get into a little bit. But, yeah, that's that's the scenario that I think uh, many of us, myself included, have, have done that in our lifetime. Okay. So, well, first of all, uh, what is what is your website and where can people find that the eight steps um, that you just mentioned? Sure. It's RobbieSamuels.com, R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com. Great. Okay, so uh, this person who's going to this this event, it doesn't want to make all the mistakes that you just referred to. So uh, can you give some suggestions about how they might approach thinking about going to the event? I mean, the first thing is to have a good attitude about it. You know, um, the event's coming up in your calendar, You've got a lot of other things going on. You still have to sort of imagine that this is a place of opportunity. If you wake up really dreading it, uh, you need to figure out how to shake that feeling and, and reframe it again as an opportunity. Um, because if you walk in and you're complaining, they're not going to they're not gonna really appreciate the way you're, you're talking. People aren't going to want to connect with you. You have to be prepared. You should have business cards and a pen. You should have them in a place that's easy for you to access as you're moving around the room, not across the room in a bag, not home. Um, and so, you know, with all that and with some sense of what you want to go there and talk about, and actually one of my tips got written up by Lifehacker, which is to write your follow-up message, your follow-up email ahead of time. Before you go to the event, sit down and create a draft message 
what would you want to write about? Who is the person, you know, you'd really want to meet? It's probably not an actual individual, but it's the kind of person you want to meet. And what would you want to talk to them about and follow up about? If you do that ahead of time, if you, you'll have a nice little um, number of draft responses and it'll make you know your follow-up much easier because all of this is about ongoing engagement. Networking is not a one-time transaction. And so all this advanced prep, you need to know who's going to be there. Again, you might not know the exact attendees, but as you described, you know there's going to be a mix of community members from all these different grantees in the room. There will be the other donors, the actual members of the foundation staff. Um, so that's the folks you want to you want to engage with, and maybe there's a, an awardee, an honoree who's who's being uh, honored that night. So if you've done some research, you've thought about who you want to talk to, and then you want to set some goals for yourself. And those goals should be a mix of meeting new people and reconnecting with people you've already you've already met. If you're if you're only meeting new people, you're just collecting business cards, and that's not actually what network building is about. It's about building relationships. On, in an ongoing fashion. So I think that's the beginning part of that is just to really walk in with a bit of a plan, um, a plan and a purpose. And here's the really good news. If anyone's listening who's more introverted and feels really, really tired going out to these events, is that if you have a goal, let's say it's meet three people and reconnect with three people, maybe it's two and two. Anything more than zero would probably be a good number to start with. But as soon as you've met your goal, you can go home. See, you know, you don't have to stay to the very, very end of an event if you feel like you got what you needed out of it. Too often people do that whole walk in, circle the room, and eventually leave and they feel like they've just wasted their time. So you really, you don't know whether it's worth it for you unless you've got a purpose before you walk in. That makes a lot of sense. And by by not making, by having a goal of two or three people, you don't feel like a failure when you haven't talked to 35 or 40 people, which might be what you, you think in your mind is what you should do if you haven't really thought it through. Yeah, I'm, you know, I caution people who are real social butterflies, you know, the more, people like myself who are very extroverted, love being around people and engaging with them, is that if you don't have a purpose, then you kind of flit about that room, you know, shaking babies and kissing hands. Uh, definitely not that. It's the other way around, right? This right. is why I'm not politician <laughs> and you know you really lose your focus in that way and um, you have to remember why you're there and what your what your purpose is so I think that uh, you're not your goal is not to do that you're really just gonna have these really brief air kiss kind of moments um, but those that's not the way to kind of deepen a relationship so let maybe we can talk a little bit about what I think for for many people especially people who are would describe themselves as introverts is a challenge, which is starting a conversation with people you don't know. Do you have any tips or suggestions on how do you start a conversation? What are the kinds of things that can be conversation starters? Uh, how do you approach people to get into a conversation? Yeah. And first, let me just make a little distinction. I, I only learned about this recently. We talk often about introverts being shy and extroverts being gregarious or outgoing, and, and they're really different scales. Um, so I happen to be an outgoing extrovert, but my wife is a shy extrovert, and I know people who are outgoing introverts, and some are shy introverts. And so um, I think it's, you know, if you're 
if you're more outgoing, um, but you're introverted, you are going to be happy to be around people. And when you're on out there, you're going to be talking to them, but you're going to feel tired by it. Um, but if you're shy, regardless of how, where you get your energy in the world, uh, it's going to feel really difficult to, to initiate. So my first tip is to always say hello to the host through the honoree, um, to the organizers. If you've done your work, uh, homework in advance, you know who they are. So go have a quick hello. I mean, it would be very brief probably. But if you do that now, if it was someone that you really wanted to say hello to, uh, you'll be less likely to see a line around them. Whereas after they've spoken, there'll be a line. And then the next trick is to actually get in line. Get in line for food or a drink. And you'll notice that people don't get online uh, with their best friends. You know, you don't say to your seven friends that you arrived with, hey, I'm going to the buffet. Who wants to join me? You don't, like, take seven friends. So it's a lot easier when you're moving through a line or waiting at a bar to engage in small talk. And in this case, small talk is just, you know, maybe an observation of, you know, asking, oh, what do you think's in this? Or, oh, does that taste good? Or that looks really good. And again, you want to keep it upbeat. You don't want to be the, the downer, but it is really just to have a, a, a light conversation. They might then invite you to follow them back to where their friends are sitting. And that could be a way to sort of get into the space a little bit more. If you stand off to the side and you're brand new and you don't know anyone, and somebody else who's brand new and shows up and stands next to you, you might have a great conversation, but at the end of that you know, short conversation, neither one of you knows anybody else in the room, so no introductions can get made. So I think when you're brand new, when you're definitely a guest, you want to, you want to really kind of stay away from corners, go into the middle of the room, and if you're more of the host, if you're a regular, then, then you're the folks that can go and uh, reach out to people who are sort of more wallflowers and bring them into a conversation. Should you have a goal in that conversation? If I meet uh, or if the person in the scenario meets uh, a foundation program officer, should I, you know, try to uh, ask them to fund my organization right off the bat? Well, I think the number one thing is you want them to know you were there and that you're having a good time. You know, you want to leave on a positive note. But uh, just to kind of follow what you just said, Warren, you know, I think you, you insinuated this. You don't walk into a space, meet someone for the first time, and sell them anything. You're not going to get a large donation from them. You're not going to get them to buy your product. It's really just the beginning of that. And so um, definitely set your sights to be more about, you know, making that introduction, letting them know you're, you're at the event, that you're having a great time, thank them, congratulate them, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, you could ask them, you know, I don't know that many people here. Is there anyone you think I should meet? Oh, great. Will you introduce me? Which is my favorite way to wrap up a conversation and ask for some guidance into the next conversation I'll be having. And most people know other people in the room and are happy to try to guide you and do that. And meanwhile, they know that they can step away, that they'll make the introduction and then they can go continue their networking and don't have to stay in that conversation that, that continues. So, um, so yes, you want to be thoughtful about what those conversations are about, but you don't want to be asking for large gifts on the, on the spot. Great. And you've just talked a little bit about what is also a tension or a challenge for some people about getting out of conversations and gave some ideas there. I, want, I wanted to ask you another question around inappropriate conversations or things not to say. And I know in the workshops you do, you talk about what you call, I think, othering. 
uh, this is about conversations with people who might be different than yourselves and asking questions about them that might be inappropriate. How do you draw the line between, you know, what's an appropriate question to ask someone who is, might be different than you, or you feel is different than you ethnically, gender, et cetera. Uh, and what isn't appropriate? You know, usually what happens is the first thing that pops in your mind when you see somebody, one thing you should caution yourself on is that it's probably not a unique observation. So if it's, let's say someone's really tall uh, and you see them and you say, wow, you're really tall. How tall are you? You know, that person goes through life being asked that question. So you're not going to be memorable. Um, That's not an interesting conversation. Uh, they don't say thank you in response because it's not actually a compliment. So, you know, height and hair texture and skin color and accents, these aren't things people have chosen. And so you want to kind of draw the line. I guess I'd say if it's something they chose, which would be, you know, a piece of clothing that they're put on, a jacket, a tie, maybe a piece of jewelry, something like that, then if you say something nice about it, then that will be received as a compliment. But everything else is really more about who they are. And it's if it's your knee-jerk response to see them and say, oh, I want to ask you all about that, um, that's the question they probably get a lot. And as you get to know somebody, absolutely, you can get into a conversation as you're forming a friendship and a connection about you know where your family's from, where their family's from. But when you first meet someone, I would stay away from those kinds of quick questions. I'm just curious questions. So we've talked a bit about initial conversations. You mentioned some ideas about how to um, move on to the next conversation in an event like this. Are there other important things to be thinking about as you're participating in a networking event? You know, I have a little standby that I like to use when I don't know what to say, um, which is really that is so fascinating. Tell me more or really that is so interesting, tell me more. And I just think it's good to have that, you know, in your back pocket if you ask a question and they start telling you maybe about opera and you don't know anything about opera, so that you can keep them engaged and, and you know, they will get a chance to share a little bit about their passion and you don't have to pretend to know something you don't. That's the thing. It's like not that you have to fake it. It's that you're just like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Like, tell me more about that. And if you do this, if you approach people with a genuine curiosity to know more about them than just what's on their business card, if you invite people to show up and and share more of themselves, they are going to actually think you're fascinating. They're going to feel really good about that conversation. And so I guess I would say a goal is that you leave every conversation with them wanting to talk to you more. And then you'll have that opportunity later on. You know, they'll make introductions for you. They'll, they'll be happy to see you again. So just go in thinking about what value you can offer the room and how you can leave people wanting to talk to you more. And in a, in a practical, I mean, everything you're saying, of course, is practical. But in terms of the mechanics of follow-up, you mentioned in the, the beginning the way in which people often take a stack of business cards home and put them in a drawer and find them six months later. How do you uh, suggest people use business cards during uh, encounters like this? So I always carry a pen with me, and I usually actually will try to have even more than one. 
Um, because if someone says they want to borrow a pen, I'd like to just leave them with that pen. Um, but I also think that a pen is useful to write a little note down. So before I leave an event, I, I want to make a little note um, on the card. But even if, I, if I'm talking to you and you and I are discussing something and you say, oh my God, Robbie, tell me more about that. Can you send me information about it? So I'll take your business card and in front of you, write down a note to myself on your card. Most people are not good at follow-up. So when you see me make that effort to make that little note to myself, it makes you feel like a little more certain that I will do this. It'll actually make it easier for me to do that because I'll know what it is we talked about and what I promised to send to you. I then fold over the corner of the card and I put it in a separate pocket. Now, women don't always have multiple pockets, so they'll have to plan ahead to have a bag or a purse or, or a dress or a jacket or something that has a small pocket. And a business card holder is really helpful for that. And so if you, if you kind of just crease the corner of the cards that you really want to keep track of, when you get home and you drop those cards in your desk, you can kind of quickly pull those out. And so I think that will help you, again, if you, if you pre-wrote your... Um, draft message. And if you're using Gmail, you can actually save them in something called canned responses, which is a lab, a Gmail lab that you can turn on under settings. So that will allow you to kind of more easily and quickly send a follow-up message, um, personalizing it as you go, of course. But it's really, it's about, you know, thinking about who those people are do you want to connect with them on LinkedIn? Are they like somebody that you really want to stay in touch with in that way? LinkedIn is usually a good place to start. I would do that before I would add people to Facebook. I think it's seen as a more, link is a more business thing uh, in certain circles that are more Twitter, uh, to guys more of a presence. I think that would be another place would be to follow somebody on Twitter. So just to kind of use that information and then you know, some people use different kinds of CRMs, so contact uh, relationship management systems. Hmm. I'm currently using one called Contactually. My dear friend Dory Clark told me about this, and Dory is the one who wrote that book, uh, Stand Out. So she knows a little thing or two about this, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I, I get little reminders that there are people that I have said, okay, I want to reach out to them every two months. And I'll get a little reminder in my dashboard saying that it's been two months and I haven't, you know, I haven't done that. So I think that we can't just keep this all in our head. If we want to be serious about this as a business, if we want to be serious about this and creating donor relationships or client relationships, we have to have a system and a plan for keeping track of whether we are actually doing the outreach we say we're going to do. And I also think that the first thing might be to be more selective about what events we go to. You're not going to every single event that's possible. I mean, there are like thousands of events going on each week in Boston. So you need to get more niche and more you know, conscious about why you're choosing this particular event. It's better to go one event a week and do excellent follow-up than to go to five and do no follow-up. That makes a lot of sense. I know that what we've been talking about is part of a larger workshop that you do, um, and so we're not going to get to everything that um, that you offer in the workshops that you do. People will have to come out and uh, experience that directly. But is there anything else uh, by way of introduction, which I think we've we've covered uh, various aspects of preparing for being at and follow up from an event? Are there any other really key points that you'd want to include uh, here for people to know about? 
you know, I, I think that's the, the biggest takeaways. Um, I'll give you one more tip for getting out of a conversation. Um, if that's okay. Did yeah, that? that's great. Well, my big tip for that is to realize that if the group is dwindling, if you have five people in a circle and you want to step away, it takes a lot less effort and planning because you're not going to interrupt the conversation to shake hands with all four people that are in front of you. You're just going to say, hey, I'm going to, and then you just like walk away. So keep an eye on the number of people in your group. When it gets down to about three, then you'll want to think about whether you're going to head out, whether you're going to invite more people in. Because if one of the other two people leave, now you're down to two and you're going to have to make that decision about sort of how to introduce them to someone or ask to be introduced or just kind of part ways. So, you know, keeping an eye on that and, um, and planning for that moment and, and also knowing that you're not ever supposed to be actually stuck in the conversation. Like, you know, just sometimes you just have to walk away. Um, but practice the idea of keeping an eye on the number of people in the group. And that's really great. And, and, and it prompts me to ask you about something that you've talked about, which is, I guess it relates to the question of how can I be a good uh, promoter of, of networking? What's my role? What are things that I can do to promote, um, uh, opening up the conversation. And I know you have this concept or these, this uh, metaphor perhaps of donut and croissant. Uh, maybe you could explain to folks um, how do donuts and croissants relate to relationship building and networking? So it's funny, because I use art of the schmooze, I actually say bagels. Bagels and croissants. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> oh, it's funny. I hear people refer it that way sometimes as well. It's the same same metaphor. So the idea is that uh, if you visualize a networking event, there are people standing in a circle shoulder to shoulder. That is a pretty common sight. You walk in a room, you look around, and you see these little pockets of people, you know, three, four, five, six people maybe, standing in a tight circle. And I'm going to call those bagels. And that's because they're really hard to kind of break into. But if one person in that group kind of shifted their weight, put their weight on their back leg, and kind of I guess, opened up their stance a little bit, either to the right or to their left, they would create a little opening next to them. And that would create a croissant. So instead of it being a really closed off circle, it would be more like a C shape because one person just kind of shifted and put their weight in their back leg and still like they're still engaged with the group, but it leaves a little bit of an opening for someone to kind of walk in. And so I think when you're in those circles, it's a good idea to pay attention. Are there people trying to get in? And then, yeah, be the person who sort of makes space for people. Um, be aware of the people around you. And if you're trying to get in, the best way in to a circle is to have had a really good conversation with someone in that group and left them wanting to hear more from you. And it's possible you said very little and just asked them to talk about themselves and left them feeling really good. And then they'll be like, oh, hey, come on in. I want to hear more about what you're doing. And they'll introduce you to the people they're standing with. So you have a little bit of control about how people are feeling about you in the room. So I would just say take that to your advantage. And don't just sell people when you walk in. Don't just go into like auto mode and start to you know, tell everybody your, your pitch. As soon as you, you meet them, you're shaking their hand. Really take the time to ask some questions. Find out how they heard about the events. Find out you know, what, what they're interested in, find out why, you know, 
how you can help them, figure out what value you can offer. Go in with some idea of those kinds of tips that you can share. It could be a favorite podcast. It could be, you know, favorite tech tool for productivity. Um, it could be kind. Of, it could be kind of anything. Just a way to keep engaging and being human about it. Wonderful. So we've just touched, Robbie, on the. Um, uh, I guess we've touched on some of the essential elements uh, in. Uh, networking and relationship building, but we certainly haven't re- talked about all of it, and nor do we have time to today. I'm wondering for people who want to delve more deeply and would like to attend a workshop of yours or get more information uh, in October, November, or December, most likely, um, how would one go about doing that? So if you're in the Boston area, I actually lead a uh, professional development training every other month through the Socializing for Justice ProfDev series. And so this is a community organization that I run. It's a pro bono um, effort that I've been doing, again, since uh, 2006. So in November of 2015, I will be leading a session about fundraising events, how to run successful fundraising events. In January, I will be leading a session on the art of the schmooze and in March 2016, I'll be leading my fundraising, getting past the fear of asking training. Now, all of those sessions are also available um, in, through you know contacting me directly at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. I love to work with you know board members, uh, nonprofit staff. Uh, I had a chance to work with sales representatives from Marriott. A lot of foundations have brought me in to work with their grantees, and I work with different kinds of co-working spaces that support entrepreneurs, both social entrepreneurs and nonprofits. And so, you know, I can craft a, a training, either a two-hour session or, as the one you attended, a full-day session that really supports the work that people are working on. I love working with mission-driven organizations. So, Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And my website has some resources. I'm actually, um, about the time that this gets released, I will have relaunched my new website uh, mid-October of 2015. I am actually launching a podcast myself. It's called On The Schmooze. And ontheschmooze.com is where you can learn more about that and join my mailing list to, to be in touch when, uh, when that goes live. Great. What what kind of, um, I mean, of course, from the title of On the Schmooze, we know a little bit about what the podcast will be about, but can you say uh, a little more about what who, what kinds of guests will be on the podcast and what you're trying to achieve with the podcast? would love to. So this is a great opportunity. I'm going to be interviewing leaders from many different sectors, public, private, nonprofit, uh, government, et cetera. And so I'm getting a chance to, to hear their stories of both you know, their earliest moments of realizing they were an entrepreneur, they were a leader, the, a little bit about their journey to the work they're doing today, and then a time that was really challenging and how relationships were key to solving that. So I want people to sort of help illustrate through their own examples how to uh, network in this really genuine fashion, how relationship building has been a big factor in their success. And I would like all of us as listeners, me included, to learn about how to take those principles of networking for social good, the philosophy of abundance, whatever you might call doing, doing good to do well or doing well to do good, to, uh, to something we can then take into our own work, into our own life. So I'm, I'm starting with a 
quite an array of um, leaders in, like I said, many different sectors and expanding actually from there. So it sounds like it'll be a, a great uh, podcast. And I especially appreciate that your podcast is bringing people from different domains together to make it possible for someone in the nonprofit world, for example, to learn something from folks who are in business, but who the nonprofit person might not have the opportunity to hear from because they're in their own silo so much of the time. I absolutely agree. I mean, Socializing for Justice is based on the principle of creating opportunities for people working on many different issues, whether it's the environment or LGBT or racial justice, et cetera, to come together both online and in person. Um, this is really about taking those same principles, creating opportunities to share that sort of best practices about leadership and relationship building. And as you just said, to bring it out from each individual silo um, of each sector and let those ideas sort of more freely flow. Um, but I, I think of it as sort of my own little MBA that I'm going <laughs> to get just by having the opportunity to, to listen and have these conversations with these amazing people um, and help them also sort of recognize their leadership. Because I think some of them are doing great work in the world, but they're not always uh, seen for it. So I'm excited to also be able to highlight that work. And um, I will also be uh, highlighting now and again a, uh, an organization, uh, a company that's launching a new uh, tech tool. I have a couple in mind the, to talk to that are kind of cutting edge that will help all of us share ideas and stay in touch with our constituents. And so I'm a fan of that kind of um, engaging t technology. So some of the episodes might be you know, focusing on a little more hands-on. This is something coming down the pike that you might want to check out. That's great. And I, I um, as part of my personal uh, uh, learning, I think that our discussion today uh, has been a privilege uh, to to learn a lot of both uh, specific tools and tools in a broader context that are so useful to folks who are who've been around as leaders of nonprofits for a while, as I have, but also people who are starting out. So I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your ideas and the thoughtfulness of your ideas. Excellent. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk. I'll put uh, some of the resources and links you mentioned in the show notes for this episode and uh, they'll be available when the podcast launches. Sounds fantastic. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Robbie. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Be Change podcast. If you like the show, subscribe on whatever podcast player you are listening on and on our website, be-change.net. Please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks to our producer, John Consilio, and to our partners, Somerville Community Media and Boston Free Radio.